8 billion people on Earth by November. That's the forecast from the United Nations. But global population growth is meanwhile slowing down and many societies are getting older. So how do we deal with the challenges ahead? I'm Nastasia Tay and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Well, there's obviously plenty to take apart from this report, but I do want to start with where we are at the moment. We're obviously living in a pandemic, and I believe the report suggests 15 million excess deaths just to the end of 2021, a fall in life expectancy. But that all seems to be a bit of a blip, given the trends that we're looking at. So we're mostly living longer, but reproducing less. Daryl, you wrote a book called Empty Planet just a couple of years back. Do you still think that that's the way we're headed? Yeah, and even faster than we were talking about in the book. Uh, and really, the, the focus of all of this, we can talk about the pandemic, we can talk about aging, we can talk about those kinds of things. But the real uh, uh, hot point in the UN's analysis is fertility. Hmm. And that's really what uh, Empty Planet is about. And so what's happening to fertility rates while well, they're collapsing? Well, with the medium fertility scenario, I believe, the UN is projecting that global population will peak before the end of this century. So 2086 at just over 10.4 billion people. Uh, Kathleen, I believe you were very much involved with the last UN report on the world's population. So this projection is obviously, as Daryl said, sooner than the last projection. What's driving that change? Well, my understanding is that the global population projections are, are put together every two to three years from a number of different national censuses. And they haven't, the long range projections have not changed too much over the years. Um, right now, we're at a world population of about 7.9 billion. The median projection, as you, as you mentioned, by 2100, we could be at 10.4 billion. But there's also a very wide range. There's a lot of uncertainty about population trends moving into the future. And it has a lot to do with the kinds of policies and programs that are in place in countries all over the world. So the UN has projected that the range of possible population futures by 2100 are from a low of 7 billion to a high of 14.8 billion. That is a very wide range of possibility for how population could grow in the future. And I would argue that that has significant implications for the health and well-being of people and for the health and well-being of the planet. We'll get into some of those trends in just a moment, but I want to look at the growth that we're seeing on the horizon, the immediate horizon. Eight billion people on this planet by November, give or take a year, um, according to the report, and much of that growth is going to be taking place in India. So, Poonam, I was looking at the number of births per woman there, and it actually seems to have dropped. So what's driving population growth there? So um, there are a number of factors. The first is that education, which, as we all know, is the best contraceptive, um, but girls are getting uh, higher education levels are taking place. Second, I believe the government has invested in family planning with a focus in the high fertility districts in India. See, in India, it's a very uneven situation where much of South India has reached uh, replacement level fertility. In fact, 24 states in India mm. and the six states in North India, which had high fertility rates, the rates are coming down because the government, uh, through its new programming, is focusing in these high fertility districts. Third, 
there's greater access to larger number of contraceptives. You know, every time a new contraceptive is introduced, uh, there is a 6 to 12% increase globally or within any country where it is increased. Uh, contraceptives are introduced, new contraceptives. So modern contraceptive methods have been introduced. And lastly, I'd like to say um, that the, we had a much higher fertility rate, let's say, amongst Muslims earlier. But the Muslim fertility rate has declined very sharply in the last mm -hmm. two decades, especially in the last decade. And a growing middle class, as well as the fact that people value education for girls more than they used to, is what is uh, helping. And finally, age at marriage is increasing, mm -hmm. which also helps with fertility decline, as well as postponement of the first child and sure. spacing methods. Uh, Poonam, despite all of that, though, we are still expecting India to overtake China as the world's most populated uh, the most the world's most populated country uh, by potentially next year. And I see that's already beginning to spur talk of a permanent seat on the UN Security Council. Now, given the trends that we're seeing and where this population growth is taking place, uh, Daryl, let me ask you, what kind of political shifts should we be looking for? Well, I think we should be increasingly looking for uh, population power to drive political power. And uh, what we haven't brought up here is the only uh, continent that in the world in which there is growth, significant growth, uh, going long term, longer term into the future, and that's Africa. Uh, because that's really the only continent um, or uh, I guess region depending on how you want to define it that really has still above replacement rate population both China uh, I mean the three world's largest three countries China India and uh, in the United States all recorded historic lows last year over the last couple of years for their fertility rates so they're not going to be challenging for global population dominance the way they were in the mm -hmm. past Increasingly, it's going to be a focus on Africa. I want to get into Africa in a moment, but because of Poonam talking about reproductive rights, I want to also bring in at this point the UN Secretary General's response to the population forecast that we saw. Antonio Guterres says it's an occasion to celebrate the health achievements that have extended lifespans and reduced child mortality worldwide, but he did also criticize what he called renewed assaults on a woman's right to access health services and to make informed choices on whether or not to even have a baby. Complications from pregnancy and childbirth are among the leading causes of death for girls between the ages of 15 to 19. Parts of Africa and South Asia account for 86% of maternal deaths worldwide. And last month, the US Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, a landmark ruling that guaranteed abortion rights. Meanwhile, Poland has also restricted access to the procedure. There's obviously vast inequity when it comes to reproductive rights. Uh, Kathleen, how does that then translate into broader patterns of inequity? I think one of the most fascinating things to think about and to look at when we're when we're examining population trends is to understand what they tell us about persistent inequities across society, whether that's inequities in reproductive rights and reproductive access to reproductive health care, which is still a huge problem for many. Uh, people for young women and girls around the world who would like to be able to delay pregnancy or avoid pregnancy, but don't have access to meaningful information and services that would enable them to achieve reproductive autonomy. This is a very basic 
fundamental human right for reproductive autonomy that hundreds of millions of people around the world still do not have. Um, it also tells us a lot about gender inequity and the ways in which girls, hundreds of millions of girls are not able to go to school, mm -hmm. um, the ways in which women do not have, are not empowered in the workforce or in the household to be able to really realize opportunities in their lives that um, include motherhood, but extend beyond motherhood. So a lot of what is driving persistent rapid population growth, which as our other guest says is, is happening in Africa, but also in pockets all across the world, uh, is, is this indication of a lack of rights in inequities, especially in the health and gender spaces. Well, let's turn to Africa now, because looking at the numbers, more than half of the growth we're expecting by 2050 is going to come from Africa, by which time I believe Nigeria is set to become the fourth most populous country on the planet. We're looking at decreasing reproduction rates around the world as people get richer. But I know there are also some experts who argue that Africa's rate of decrease is actually less or, or slower than perhaps some other parts of the developing world because culturally the ideal family size is larger than elsewhere. Daryl, what do you make of that? Well, I think the first thing, and the UN recognizes this in their report, the, the data from Africa aren't great. Mm. So we're, we, we don't really know precisely what's going on in Africa. But, uh, you know, if, if the past is prologue, um, I expect that the trends that we see in other parts of the world that, you know, are, have moved incredibly rapidly in terms of changing their fertility rates, mainly as a result of culture, that the effect of that is going to be significant in Africa, too. Uh, we're just having a pretty difficult time measuring it. But in places where we do have better data, say, for example, at like Kenya, where they do have good population data, uh, you look at the, the, um, uh, the, the fertility rate in a place like Nairobi, and it's, it's pretty close to replacement rate. Mm. So the trends that are happening everywhere else in the world are also going to be happen happening in Africa. We just don't know how fast because it's really hard to get a handle on what's going on, for example, in Nigeria. Sure. Well, some of the demographics in Africa, the ones that we do have, are also really interesting. In Nigeria, I believe 70% of its 200 million people right now are currently under 30. So the population growth that we're seeing there is also a rise in the working age population, this so-called demo demographic dividend that could either be an opportunity for economic growth or, or potentially a cause for political strife. Uh, Poonam, how have you seen that be played out in India? So in India, the main reason fertility will grow is because we have 360 million young people, uh, many of who are at a reproductive health age or will reach there very soon. But in India, we keep talking about the demographic dividend because we have a large youth population. But the problem is that the window is small. It is not a permanent feature. So the window for uh, harvesting the demographic dividend is clo uh, close to 15 years more in, at, at an average, some states uh, a little longer. We have to invest in young people's education, but more than that, also jobs. For the demographic dividend to take place and become a reality, we have to invest in jobs. And at this point of time, there is huge number of young people who are not skilled to even take advantage of the job opportunities mm. that do exist. So if we don't do something very quickly in terms of skill uh, training, skill development, and getting uh, jobs 
uh, for young people. We are going to have a demographic disaster. So right now we are on a high uh, and we have an opportunity. And I must say that there is a realization. Earlier we thought it is very automatic that the demographic dividends will happen. So in India, we are um, um, why we're skilling and so on. We also need to have more temporary methods and access greater access for young people to contraception. And finally, sex education and especially information on reproductive, uh, not just uh, rights and justice, we also need access to family planning services and temporary methods. India focuses primarily on sterilization, mm. which is a permanent method, while young people need access to temporary methods and they don't plan families, they need access to contraception. So the earlier India begins to recognize and um, bring in um, in schools, out of schools, greater information on uh, and comprehensive sexuality mm -hmm. education will do better. But skills is something we are aware but India's grappling with. And I'm greatly I, I want hoping to we bring in Kathleen here because I see you nodding and agreeing with much of that, Kathleen. But do you see this demographic dividend as a potential threat or only an opportunity? Well, one of the things that's really critical to understand about the demographic dividend is that it is realized when there is a decline in fertility. That is the thing that triggers a demographic dividend so that the proportion of the population that is in the working age is larger. And as uh, Poonam mentioned, it is a brief period of time. Uh, it requires this decline in fertility. It also requires uh, investments in education and uh, employment opportunities for that brief period of time that we have this really large age, large cohort of the population in the working age. So it's, it's not simply, the demographic dividend does not come simply from rapid population growth. It's rapid population growth followed by a period of fertility decline that results in this big chunk of the population mm -hmm. in the working age realm. And that is really difficult to accomplish, but there, there are a lot of opportunities for it but it does require lots of investment in contraceptive options, as Poonam was mentioning, in sexuality education and things that advance gender equity, in access to reproductive health care in a wide range of contraceptive methods, and then also the, the, the plethora of education and employment opportunities that need to be ready for this very large cohort that is coming into the working age population. Sure. But that surely also has some political implications. I'll bring Daryl in here. Uh, what do you make of where this could shift things, particularly for the developing world? Well, I, the, actually, I think the, the really interesting thing for me in listening to this conversation is how much this conversation is going to change over the next 10 to 15 years. Because the conversation is going to shift from this kind of 1970s, you know, overpopulation, population bomb type of, uh, of, uh, of, of a discourse over to one, in, in particularly in the developed world, where this is going to get very controversial, about how do we promote having children? Hmm. Uh, because we've got many countries now, and the UN identified them in the report, I think it was 61, that are now actually experiencing population decline. Countries like uh, like Italy, for example, are losing 50,000 people a year from their population. Japan loses about half a million people from their population every year. Uh, um, uh, 
uh, uh, Spain loses about 50,000 people from their population every year. And we have a whole series of countries in, uh, in places like Eastern Europe in which the, the numbers are even more shocking. So what we're going to start seeing is a shift in the conversation, I think, in, in uh, away from just meeting the challenges of the developing world to start talking about what we're going to do in terms of population management in countries that are really going to be challenged by aging and shrinking populations. By 2030, the entire global baby boom is going to be 65 years of age or older. We're not ready for that. Well, let's talk about this aging population then. Poonam, how's that been playing out in India? Because we're talking about a broader population of older people living longer. That has resource, resource implications of its own. Yeah, that is actually something that's very worrying for those of us who work on population issues, because India does not have any social security, whether it is health or it's uh, um, uh, financial. So we are worried about the aging population, but there isn't much work being done in India. It's only actually after the last report of the UN that there was even conversation beginning about aging. And in India, where uh, a large percentage of people, there's huge migration from the villages, there is very little security in terms of caregiving also for uh, the aged. And I, India has to prepare itself for uh, making uh, he uh, universal health coverage a reality for across India. We have to strengthen our public health systems. We have to reimagine uh, our public health systems, which we recognized during COVID. Finally, that we, mm -hmm. it is our, our public health is an ICU. Thirdly, I think financial investment for um, um, a, a, a fiscal support and so on to the aged population is something that India will have to plan for and invest in. Um, I'm sorry, Poonam, I, I want no to, at this point, sorry, turn to the environment because I don't want us to run out of time before getting there. And we're talking really about constraints on resources here. And obviously a huge one is what we're going to see in terms of climate change impacts. A lot of this population growth is going to be taking place in climate vulnerable areas. I mean, at the very simplest level, more people on the planet means more strain on resources. We're already seeing concerns around food security. Uh, Kathleen, are you worried about the population trends we're seeing? I, I'm very worried about it, and I, I want to um, disagree with with Daryl a little bit about um, what which of the population trends we need to be most concerned about. Certainly, an aging population is something that we need to plan for, prepare for, and have um, adequate social security systems in place to to uh, manage an, uh, an aging population and to think about how we adequately employ a smaller workforce, smaller proportion of population workforce in some places. But I really think that the larger problem is that the population is still growing globally from around 8 billion today, and it could be up to 14 billion by the end of the century. Hopefully it won't be there, but it depends a lot on what we invest in. Okay, okay. I'm, I will bring in Daryl here because we are talking about I this mean, peak on. and decline, um, and this is going to happen literally within the next 100 years. So obviously a debate about whether that's a good thing. Uh, Daryl, go for it. Well, look, any estimate that says it can be between 8 and 14 million is, why don't we make it 7 and 14 million, is 100% variation. That's not really much of an estimate. Uh, and really, when you take a look at the more the compelling evidence about what's happening, hold on a second. 
I let you talk, let me talk. If you take a look at the work that uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation published in The Lancet that was done by a whole global series of demographers, and it was done pre-COVID, they don't even come close to that number. I mean, so I, I really have a lot of questions about how the UN does its modeling. I think this whole population momentum uh, uh, you know, theory is just that, a theory. I think there's a lot of cultural change that's taking place around all of these things that are actually going to cause fertility decline to accelerate. Uh, the population increase is not going to get even close to 10.4 million people. We're going to be probably somewhere between 8 and 9 billion people, which is not much far off, further off of where we are today. But it's going to be a very different mix of people. They're going to be highly urbanized, and they're going to be much, much older than the population we have on the face of the earth today. That's the challenge we're truly facing. Both challenges and opportunities. Well, we'll have to leave our discussion there for today, but we'll be keeping an eye on how this all plays out over the coming decades and centuries. Um, thank you to all of our guests. That's Kathleen Mogelgaard, Daryl Bricker, and Puna Mutreja. Well, that's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Ng, Usama Aloni, Fongi Nguyen, and Jimmy Gesserhun. Studio sound by Aston Goodison. The program was edited by Anna Savage, Lin Nguyen, and Joe DeFrius. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again on Wednesday.